This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. Engineers want to win, says Steve Prosser, VP of Software Development at Guaranteed Rate, one of the largest retail mortgage lenders in the U.S., responsible for more than $20 billion in annual loan volume. Ever worked at a company that tries to hide engineering from executives? Not this one. Steve and Ledge discuss how their organization has gone all in on engineer autonomy, where each and every dev manages their own communication needs all the way to direct executive team collaboration. You'll also be surprised to learn about the organization's language choices, as well as their intense investment in learning and development to support them while building a robust recruiting pipeline. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Here's Ledger's conversation with Steve Prosser. Steve, thanks for joining us. Ledge, thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here. So if you wouldn't mind, give your two or three minute background story, you and your work and, and what you got going on. Sure. I'm Vice President of Software Development at Guaranteed Rate. We are the one of the largest residential uh, mortgage companies in the U.S., uh, doing well over $20, $25 billion a year in home loans. Uh, I currently manage uh, really all of our consumer-facing software and development, uh, which includes our digital mortgage platform, which supports a majority of our sales as a company. So off mic, you and I were talking a little bit about some team innovations that y'all have been doing over the last... Uh, year or so. I would love if you would dive into that because it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's it's been quite a wild ride since I've started here. Um, to give a little bit of background, uh, historically, the department didn't have a lot of very strong leadership uh, coming in. So actually, the CIO that, that brought me in, his name is Martin Logan, uh, had this really interesting idea to move to a autonomous structure for managing software development, software development teams going away from that traditional hierarchical management structure. So uh, it's been an experiment over the last three years. I think it's safe to say it's not an experiment anymore. It's, it's worked out pretty well, but that first year to two years, it's definitely been a lot of lessons learned, uh, a lot of attempts at, at trying different solutions throughout the process. And I'm happy to dive into, you know, sort of what that looked like. Yeah, please, please. We love the stories of, uh, you know, rising from the ashes of, of failure. So, you know, where'd you bump your head and uh, how'd you get out of it? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, one of the biggest things we were trying to accomplish is that the mortgage industry is extremely complex. And I think that this actually translates to most companies and most industries is the amount of complexity from the business side, you know, really cannot be understated. So we wanted our engineers, our designers, our product people to not have to work through projects, work through requirements, through multiple layers of, you know, playing the game telephone. Uh, to understand what the business wants, but we wanted them to really become experts on what they were working on and understand, you know, their slice in depth. So by moving to a a self-managed organization, the thought is that, you know, even down to the engineer level, they're sitting with our executives. They're sitting with everybody in the business they need to become subject matter experts in the field that they're developing. So this is quite a shock, I think, to a lot of engineers at first who prefer to sort of sit down and just write code, put my headphones on, leave me alone. Um, but one of the things that we realized out of the gate is that, you know, it's a bit of a fallacy that engineers just want to be left alone and write code. Uh, really what they want and what dev teams want is they want to win. They want to win on what they're developing. They want to make an impact. And, you know, one of the first things we realized out of the gate was that it, it is painful to switch habits. It is painful to have 
teams spending more of their time communicating, you know, going to different offices, sitting down with business folks and, and getting to know them and their business lines more in depth. But once they did, the, the outcomes of the software they were building were so much more impactful. The understanding they had in what they were building was, was so much richer and deeper than it would have been otherwise. And uh, once you've kind of experienced that, there's really no going back. So do you have any particular stories? I'm just, just curious of somebody who made, a, you know, no names, obviously, but maybe somebody who made, uh, you know, just some really good insights into the customer journey, internal customer, and, you know, just sort of left that coding in the dark, you know, with my headphones on kind of thing and really blossomed into a, a customer empath, I guess. Yeah, I think there's there's been a handful of of, the, of those that we've experienced. Um, I think the one that jumps out to me most strongly is thinking about how we collect documentation from borrowers, um, specifically through the mortgage process. If you've ever bought a home, there are so many steps you have to go through to actually get that loan to purchase that house, and it's very very frustrating. And you know, we really believe that technology can help automate that process and make it a much better user experience for the end customer. And, you know, we had some engineers sort of digging around on their own thinking about, well, how can we recognize the data that we're receiving up front from an application and then try to turn that into what we're going to expect, you know, down the line from them. So that way we don't have to have all these different human components analyzing that data, making possible mistakes. And we can just automate what documents we need really from the borrower. Um, we were able to take a pretty good first stab at this. The engineers were on their own. Actually, one of the main engineers, he just had this as his side project. He had to take the train in and out of the city every day. So he just made this little side project that he worked on on the train. It was, it was really kind of cool and uh, made some really awesome progress and, and was able to get an MVP out that started to automate about 50% um, of what we would expect from a borrower coming into our pipeline um, to, to get a mortgage. And then, once we released that, we really started syncing with the business and we were able to expand it greatly to cover many more documents and also just provide a better experience for when we do have to have a human component come in for a unique situation. So what's the stack look like for something this massive? I mean, you're, you're chunking tons of data, you know, so I just want to back to front, you know, what, what kind of technology are you using and, you know, and then from a skill set perspective, you know, how are you staffing out engineering? Yeah, it's, it's, we have a pretty unique stack. We've actually gone um, off the deep end with Clojure. So we are a functional programming shop through and through. This started as an experiment about four years ago. We brought in a, uh, a few Clojure engineers to start building out you know, some basic Clojure services to either wrap legacy databases, uh, wrap third-party integrations, kind of you know, what functional programming really excels at. Um, over that time, it's allowed us so much flexibility in the applications and services that we've built. Um, I remember one of the first big projects that I, I took on was to completely revamp our primary website, uh, which was at that point a 14-year-old PHP website, and it looked like a 14-year-old PHP website. Uh, and in investigating what technically we could do or should do, we didn't really need uh, any sort of large framework or ORM like Rails or Django or something like that because really all the data that we needed was available over RESTful endpoints in these closure services that were insanely fast. And so we were able to take just a JavaScript first approach that allowed me to focus for that project on hiring and scaling a team of JavaScript developers that really understood SEO, that really understood web development, um, and didn't have to worry about all the data, data manipulations, um, and that piece of the puzzle because it's just there. 
so over that time, we started with a few closure engineers, proved that it worked. We're now up to, I think, over 30 engineers in-house that can write closure and do write closure every day. So you have a, the market cornered. You have like all of them. <laughs> uh, I think there's three or four uh, sizable shops <laughs> in Chicago that, that hire closure. And uh, we do work closely with all of them. But in terms of finding people with closure experience, yeah, we've pretty much tapped that market. So we developed something called Closure University recently. And the purpose of that is to be able to bring in good engineers that come from different backgrounds, whether it's, again, JavaScript or Python or Ruby or Java or whatever, and put them through a crash course of learning closure while on the job, while working on projects and working on a team. So, uh, so far, that's been a, a huge success in being able to open up our pipeline to candidates that we wouldn't otherwise have been able to bring on. Sure. What's that look like? Just the operations of that. You know, I think there's a lot of engineering companies and leaders I've talked to that that are really interested in upping uh, their contribution to the learning and, and development space. How did you pull that off? Yeah, it's it's been a lot of work, to be honest. Um, we've brought in engineers, uh, accomplished engineers from many different teams across our organization. And we work together with them to develop this program that not just really teaches closure, but also just how we use closure because uh, every company uses a language differently from another company, right? Or, or they, they take on different aspects of that language. So um, it's really a four to six week, depending on the people going through it, intensive program where uh, they're going through different courses every other day. There's homework that's actually expected out of it. There's projects that are expected out of it. And when they're not in those, those courses, they're actually working on a closure team here. So they're fully immersed and they're pair programming with our engineers. So what have you seen from the, the tech side? Uh, you know, we talked about the, the positive sides uh, on the closure and, you know, the other sort of separation of, of concerns there, RESTful and JavaScript. You know, what have been some of the challenges and some of the things that you wish you did different? It's a good question. I, I, I wish we pulled the trigger a little faster on our experiment. That's for sure. It's, it's really been, it's really been great. I, I think that, you know, the education component looking back is so big that the fact that we've rolled out closure university in the last you know three months is great, but that's four years into this, this technical route that we took. And I think that looking back, if we were to do something, have done this maybe two years ago or even a year ago, that could have helped our ability to recruit staff even sooner. So we're, we're very aggressive in that regard and, and we're always looking at how we can better. Are you using a lot of uh, public cloud technologies? Like what's the stack look like on the backend? Sure, yeah, uh, we're, we're pretty heavy, he heavily leveraged with AWS. Uh, we also rolled out a, a pretty broad Kubernetes pipeline. This was actually about a year and a half ago. So we were a pretty early adopter with Kubernetes and, and that was both challenging and fun. And uh, how we actually you know, wrap up these services and projects and deploy them. So uh, our whole stack end to end, depending on which products and services your your a team would be working on, looks like you're using AWS, Kubernetes, Closure, a lot more Closure Script now that we've brought in, or JavaScript. Some of our legacy stuff from years past is is Microsoft, and we still support those, but take strong efforts in reducing that technical debt uh, as we take on new projects. I wonder, you must have a pretty robust build pipeline if you're able to have the, the self-managed engineering kind of vibe and a lot of prototyping. What's the, the CI CD flow look like? 
Uh, so one of the interesting things with self-management is it varies team by team and, and each team can come up with their own CICD pipeline and, and process based on their own unique applications and services as well as their own just how they work and, and what they prefer. Um, so there's really no set standard and that's that's something that as a manager you kind of have to learn to become okay with early on when you're going down this autonomous path is um, you have to kind of take that approach of I want to set the vision of how you know reliable the software should deploy and how scalable those services and applications are and allow the team to come up with solutions that work that meet the vision versus micromanaging and dictating this is how the stack is going to have to be. And how does that work on the budgeting side if each team wants to buy a different CI tool? It's a good question. So one of the things that we've realized with self-management is there still has to be transparency and communication across, across teams and across the department. So we have mechanisms like our architecture meeting. I know architecture meetings are pretty common uh, throughout organizations. Uh, ours is a little bit different, though, in that it's not just a, a meeting where the architects come in and discuss architecture, but it's open to all engineers. And it's really an engineering leadership meeting with architecture being a component. So if one team is looking at taking a, a specific build pipeline or bringing in a specific framework or language, um, that's the meeting where it's discussed. And a lot of times what we'll realize is if there's a need on one team, there's often a need on multiple teams. Or on the flip side of the coin, if there's a need on one team, possibly another team's already solved that and they have a solution that they're able to work with, with you know, team A to help implement. We try to help consolidate those decisions where possible, but if there's truly a unique scenario where uh, there is a specific deployment software or a specific any type of software that, that a team or an individual needs, we'll definitely take that under consideration. So my last and favorite question, you know, is obviously we're in the business of evaluating and staffing, like, you know, very high end, the very best, you know, freelance engineers. And we have a quite substantial process that we do to evaluate and vet and, and get that done, you know, but I like to ask every tech lead that I talk to is really like, you know, what is key for you? What are the key heuristics when you're identifying and, and hiring, you know, the, the very best engineers that you want for your team? Yeah, uh, there's, there's three primary buckets that, that I tend to look in. Um, the first one is job competency. So if you're an engineer, how technical are you? If you are a product owner, how well do you sort of live and breathe that product lifecycle? Um, and that can be translated to really any role. The second one is, um, is really business competency. But when you're hiring, you may or may not know the actual business that you're, that you're applying into, right? So I don't expect a lot of people from the tech side to understand mortgages. So how coachable are you? How, how well do you take direction is a big part of that. And then the, the third main bucket I look for is, is leadership qualities. Um, how well do you uh, naturally lead others or help gravitate others to your ideas, communicate well, um, mentor, I've had junior engineers mentoring senior engineers on things. I've had, you know, principal engineers taking half the department by storm on, on new architectural visions. So uh, I think that leadership component can be really, really powerful if done well with a healthy culture. Steve, thanks so much for the insights. Great to have you on. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine. Uh, thanks for having me here. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, 
Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.